Are you ready? All right, I'm going to do it. I'm in a series on the future, and today I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about the end times. Everything. Are you ready? Here it is. Here it is. Are you ready? Here it is. Jesus is Lord. Okay, let's stand together. Ready to go home? <laughs> ready to go home? No way I'm going to let you off that easily. No way. So, today I'm going to ask you to put on your big boy pants because I'm going to say some things today. Things that are really in my heart and I believe are in the heart of God. And I'm going to read some scriptures today that are going to be a little difficult for us. I'm going to challenge you today about what you've been taught. I'm going to challenge you by some of the things you may believe just because somebody else said it. Somebody taught it on television. Somebody wrote a book about it. But you've never really dug in for yourself and said, Here's, here's what the whole Bible says, and, and here are all these different views, and how do I match all of that to what the Bible's saying? And boy, it just seems confusing to me. Anybody as confused as I am? Isn't it amazing, even as a young teenager and through my whole life, but even as a young teenager, I, I could read my Bible and understand most of it. Not everything, good gracious, I'm still learning as I read the Scriptures. There's a lot to be learned. But... When it came to Revelation, when it came to Matthew chapter 24 and 25, when it came to end times teachings, I could never make sense of it. Why is it that when I'm reading my Bible and praying and the Holy Spirit is showing me and, boy, I'm connecting, I'm listening to other teachings and I'm going, that, yeah, it's right there, I get that, and yet I could not find it myself. And I'm still to this day trying to discover where some of the teaching has come from because I don't see it the way they've seen it in the Scripture. And so I'm going to caution you today to not just accept things because somebody's teaching it. Don't accept it, even me. Don't just accept things because somebody said it and they said it really well and it's in a book and everybody likes this person and respects them. Listen, I've been around teachers and men of God and women of God all my life. Some names that you know that are on television stuff, I've hung with some of them. I don't know them all, but, but you'd be amazed at who I've been around. And I'll just tell you, listen, we all can get off into something that is, you know, we like and it sounds great, but why is it that the whole Bible doesn't support it? And there's somebody else over here that's saying something completely different, and they're using the Bible too. See? And so I'm going to challenge you today. I, I, I want you to get a perspective that I believe is from heaven and from the Scripture that will help us. And I'm going to challenge your, your thinking about end times, last days. I'm going to challenge your thinking about it. So put your big boy pants on, all right? And let's, let's start this process. So I've said in the first service, and I'll say to you, what, you, you know the old phrase about put it in your pipe and smoke it? You know, if you're, you know that phrase that means like to meditate on it or put that in your pipe and smoke it, okay? So I want you to all get out your pipes. We're going to put a lot of stuff in the pipe today and smoke it now. And after I say that about 25 times, don't, don't go out and tell people I told everybody to smoke a pipe. Don't you do that, all right? 
And some of you, I, well, I just hope you don't turn green before it's over. Here we go. Everything you need to know about the end times. You know, I have, um, there are many different views. And uh, when I grew up, I had one view being taught me. And it scared the living daylights out of me. I was convinced that I would never reach 20 years old. There was such fear in me over what was being said. I mean, it was all in wonderful songs and, but the, and the preaching and all about the second coming and Jesus coming back. And, but it, there was an atmosphere being created of fear. And so I found myself afraid of the future. There were people who decided after they got married not to have children because they were afraid of what was going to happen in the end times to their kids. And so they wouldn't have children. And I know a family that did that, and they're so regretful today as they realize that they passed their season and, and decided on that basis not to have kids. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge a wrong spirit about this that has landed in the body of Christ. And I know we all have different views. By the way, at Life Church, you actually have the freedom to believe the any eschatological view that you I'm going to say that you want to, but I'm going to say, you know, you can, if you can find scriptures to support what you're saying, whether I agree with you or not, whether, you know, you have freedom to believe. But let me say this to you. Whatever you say, even leadership and even Craig, whatever we say is not going to necessarily represent the, the final life church authority. And you would say, even you, Craig, well, listen, I'm still searching. I'm still asking questions. And some of the questions I'm going to throw at you are questions I've been trying to answer. But I think it's healthy because we need to shake up what we've been taught all of our lives because there's so much in the Bible to challenge us. And so uh, here's some of the eschatology views. Are you ready? There is the dispensational premillennialism. There is historical premillennialism. There is postmillennialism. There is amillennialism, there is preterism, there is futurism, there is historicism, and there is idealism. Now, that's just to name a few. <laughs> that's a fairly, well, the reason that's a conclusive list is because some of these blend, and some are terms that have been used for about 200 years. Some are terms that have only been used in the last few years. And so, but these are different studies and people coming out and saying, well, I believe this and I believe that. No, I believe it this way. Well, it includes some of this and some of that, but I believe this. And so you've got all these different views and they're all backed up by scripture. They all have books written about them and yet they're all different. As I said, a blend, some of it is, you know, some of it's a compilation of this and this, and, but there it is. So I don't know where you land, but go and pass out a test and find out exactly where you land with this today. No. There's also pan-millennialism. Anybody know what that is? It will all pan out in the end. Okay? All right, now, that's a, I love that. It's a good joke, but it's kind of a cop-out, you know. <laughs> but it's really true, is it not? So I'm, I'm going to... Um, it, let me read to you the Life Church belief. We have a statement of beliefs, and we've uh, redone it recently. And this is similar to what we had had before. It's just it's only expanded by adding a lot of scripture behind it. But uh, but here's the only here's what we have in our statement of beliefs concerning last things. That's the way we pronounce last things. And here it is: 
God has appointed a day when he will judge the world. On that day, God will demonstrate his mercy by eternal salvation in heaven for all who have placed their faith in Christ for salvation and his justice by eternal damnation in hell for those who have rejected God's free gift of salvation in Christ. That, my friend, is the one thing about the end time that you need to remember. Is that the end is an end for making a choice. And there will be people in heaven and people in hell. What happens between here and there really is very low on the list compared to what God has called you to do and be before that happens. That's what, if there's, you know, if there's, if there's any sense of godly fear, it ought to be for that and that alone. Turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. See, here's, here's some of the problem I have. I hope, you, I hope you'll accept this. I know that, I know that, it's so easy to be obsessed with this. It's obsessed with the end times. And so I, I, I understand this. I've been around it all my life, believe you me. And I, it's not my intent to hurt anybody's feelings or to step on your toes today. And yet, I want you to know, I want you to be challenged. Put your big boy pants on. Because here we go. I'm going to challenge you. And it's going to hurt a little bit. Here we go. Um, it's when... Many times when I'm talking to somebody who is just obsessed with the end times, often, not always, often, often, that person is also depressed. That person is also dealing with a lot of fear. And we walk away from that conversation with fear and a sense of hopelessness and and everything's going to get bad, and everything's going to get worse. And, and then comes the whole idea of, boy, I hope Jesus comes back tomorrow so he'll rapture me and pull me out of all this destruction and ugliness that's coming. Jesus said, and it's not Acts. I'm just moving ahead in my sermon. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. He wasn't even talking about end times when he said it. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And if you're obsessed with something that's driving you into depression and bringing darkness into your life, and you're spilling that out on other people, stop. Stop. I believe, and this is Craig McLeod speaking. You can, I know you're going to quote me on it. I believe this. I believe that there is, an, there is an end times obsession that is straight from hell. And the reason for that is that it is a huge distraction to the purposes and plan of God. And we're so afraid of what's going to happen with our lives that we've missed the whole reason that we're here. And the joy that comes with that. 
So Jesus said this, last words out of his mouth. I'm talking, he's been around for 32, 33 years. He's been with the disciples for two or three years. And he is with them at the very last moment before he goes up in a cloud. And he turns to them and he says these words very last. If somebody, if God himself is telling me words Last words out of his mouth. Don't you think they're probably significant? Maybe even a, you know, one like a sermon, you know. Now, in closing, I'm going to repeat my mission, my statement, my main message. Here it is. He said, verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Don't get distracted, he's saying. They've just asked him. They've just asked him, Lord, is this when you're going to set up your kingdom on earth? That's what they've just asked him. It's the same, it's the same predisposition. It's the same distraction that we're in now. Is this, is this when you're going to... And he immediately corrects them and says, it's not for you to know times or seasons. This is what you need to be focused. You want to think about authority and power and kingdom? You, you know, they're projecting a future kingdom. And Jesus' response to them was, no, no, no. What I'm talking about is happening right now. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is going to be demonstrated in your life. It's called a witness. It is the witness of Christ and his kingdom to the world. Don't get distracted. It's not for you to know times or seasons. Don't get distracted here. Don't be obsessed and overrun and overwhelmed and in fear and my goodness. And listen, I I know I've got friends, like close friends, who are... Man, they are storing up and, and all of that. And I'm, I'm actually one who would say, don't criticize people for doing that. I mean, listen, I've been through hurricanes. I've been through, you know, some pretty hard scenarios where there was a time in Mobile, Alabama with the hurricane we went through that I started storing up stuff, okay? And, and, uh, and we, we know we don't live in a bubble. There's this world catastrophe has been going on since the beginning of time. There are earthquakes, and there are. this is just a part of life. And so if somebody feels led, or if they feel like, uh, you know, they feel like that, you know, there's going to be a time where Christians are really going to be, then, then here's what I'm going to say to you. Now, if you want to store up, and that's fine. There are two things I want you to think about, though. Number one, do as Joseph did. He stored up, but he saved a nation not just his family. You're going you're gonna to turn your neighbors away? You're going to not think about anybody else but yourself when you go through a hard time? Are you going to be self-centered and self-focused about this whole thing? Number two, I, I, I want you to think about, don't, if you're going to do that, don't go out into the boonies and seclude yourself and hide. Because now you're disobeying God. I'm going to go get alone in my little place so that I won't get hurt. And I won't. 
Now you're disobeying God because he said you're the salt of the earth and light of the world. A city set on a hill that's not hidden. And so be careful. Be careful with all of the end times focus and talk. And, you know, I would start, I'm trying to be careful not to bleed over into too much of other people's theologies. But hang in there. Don't be overwhelmed by this stuff. I'm going to challenge you. Here we go. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you that should keep your focus. Here's, here, are the, here are three scriptures about the, end time, end, the phrase end time or end of the age that you need to be focused on. Always go back to this. The first one is Matthew 28. Well, I just read you the first one. So the second one is, so there are four. The second one is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, Jesus said, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus was saying again, here's your task, here's your call, here's who you are and where it's to happen, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. But I'm going to be with you while you're making disciples of all the nations. By the way, how many nations? All, even America. I thought America was falling apart and would never anything good happen again. I don't have my head in the sand and don't accuse me of it. I'm not saying bad things are not going to happen. Let me just go ahead and throw this in to the mix. Got Got your big boy pants on? Okay, get ready. Got your pipe? Here we go. Nobody's green yet. I'll give you the opportunity to be green in just a minute, so hang on. We owe history an apology. Because in America, now that Christianity is not what it used to be in the minds of people, and I'm being looked at differently, and people are beginning to think that I believe this, or I hate these people, or I whatever, that I don't, I don't like this, I don't feel comfortable. It must be the end times. Whoa, whoa, whoa. out of the bubble. Since day one, the church has been in persecution for 2,000 years. And that was never referred to just as an end time thing. Jesus said, it will happen. You will be persecuted. And, And see, it's a slap in the face to people who have given their lives. Go read just the New Testament. They were sawn in two. I mean, go read how terrible the persecution. There's a persecution in the church, in the early church, that has never yet been matched. It's true. Josephus told us about it, and Acts has referred to it. Listen, there is a, um, uh, last year, On planet Earth, 100,000 Christians died for their faith. I didn't say persecuted. I'm not talking about the rest who were 
put in prison or they were, you know, not allowed to buy something here or whatever. I'm not, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people who died because they were Christians. A hundred thousand. Now, that figure is debated, but those are major organizations backing it up. But even if you cut it in half, what I want you to see is that persecution is not some future thing that just because we haven't felt the extremity of it, that, and now that we're sensing some kind of persecution that we think, oh no, the end times are coming. Well, apologize to those who have already given their lives. They've had their end time and their last day. And what you go through is not going to even match. Whatever you go through is not going to be worse than what history, the Christians of all of history have gone through. I mean, death is death. Let me read you a couple of scriptures here. Here's another one. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. There's your end time scripture. This is where God is focused. He's focused on every corner of the planet with real people who have names, with areas and communities and villages, and that's where he's focused. Not on the current events. Sure, he's involved in everything. But his heart is with people, your neighbors, people in our own city who have not heard the gospel of Christ. That's where his heart is. He's not distracted from that. And did you know that uh, about 30 years ago, denominations, organizations, evangelists, Billy Graham called together all of the evangelical-type peoples across the world and had them meet together. And he said, listen now, we've got to figure out what this means. Make disciples of all the nations. He'd already preached to more people than you could imagine. And he said, we're not finishing the job, but God's called us to do it. So how are we going to do this? And all these organizations started in a unified fashion, begin to count the villages and the communities and the peoples across the world. See, in the Bible, the word nations does not just mean these geographical pieces on our map. Have you noticed they change quite a bit? Okay. So it's not just talking about that. It's talking about the word nations here. It's talking about people groups. So there are villages. There are cities. There are, there are areas in the world where they have their own dialect or their own language, their own culture, different than the people down the road. And so that's a people group. It's a nation, according to that uh, biblical term. It's a, it's, a, it's a people with its own culture. And so when I, when I go to India and I speak to these 800 pastors at one time, they've come from all over the nation. There are six interpreters interpreting what I'm saying because the languages are so different. And so you, 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 you see there are literally 10,000 plus people groups in the world. And listen, they have determined, we're still working on it, 
and it, flu it fluctuates, so it's very hard to get exact numbers. But we know that there are between four and 5,000 people groups who do not yet have a living witness of Christ among them. Some of them, a missionary went in, preached, and left. But there's not a living witness of Christ like a group of people who are Christians operating together. You know what we call that? We call it the church. And other people looking at that and being drawn to that and seeing that these people live differently and it's working and God's there. And there are over four, between four and 5,000 of those groups are still out there without a living witness of Christ. Jesus said, the end's not going to come till that happens. I'm not hoping that Jesus comes back tomorrow. Don't say that to me anymore. I told you, put your big boy pants on. Because that means two things. That means there are thousands of people groups. That means millions and billions of people that have not yet heard the gospel. Areas of the world that, have, that don't have a living witness. And number two, it means God put, because he's called us to be a part of that, he's put purpose and direction in our lives like Isaac and Emily and where you work and live. He's put purpose and direction in our lives to have an impact, and it's inside of me, and it's not yet fulfilled. I don't want him to come back tomorrow. I want that feeling of I've done it. I finished my race. Every Christian ought to be thinking that way. We've still got a work to do before this happens, before Judgment Day. And so let's get out of this self-centered place of please, please, Lord, rapture me out so I won't have to experience any bad things that are coming. That's so self-centered. Please don't talk like that. Please don't say that anymore. I'm pleading with you as a as a pastor and as a friend. Let's not be distracted. Let's not, be, let's not get off track here with what God's thinking about and where his heart is. It might be your neighbor. You read the next scripture. All right, nobody's turning green yet that I can see, but I'm not finished. Hang in there. Next scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end. There it is. You want to know when it happens? Here it is. Then comes the end. When he, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God, the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Now, some say that's something that's going to happen in the future. And, of course, the delivery of the kingdom to the Father is going to happen in the future. But what's happening right now is that we are living out and demonstrating that kingdom. What he delivers to the Father is something that we will have demonstrated. And we're, we're in the process of doing it right now, not in the future. And I, I know some people believe there's this kingdom coming that's after Jesus comes back. And, all, and then there's some others that believe that it's just all one thing and it started a long time ago. And I, I know there are different beliefs and I've given you the permission to believe what you want there if you can back it up with Scripture. But I'm telling you, that there's something that's going to be delivered to heaven that is not just about the future. It's about the way we're living our lives right now. And so we've got to tie in. 
Am I going to be a part of it or not? Mm, I don't have time. All right, I'm just going to give you a general statement here. It's going to drive you crazy because I can't expound on it. But when it comes to Matthew 24 and 25 and Revelation, you need to think about some things that maybe you're not considering. And so I just want you to put it in your pipe and smoke it, okay? And that is that in, in Matthew 24 and 25, go read the first three verses of 24, and Jesus is actually telling them about 70 A.D. when Jerusalem would be destroyed. And the disciples said, hey, tell us, when are these things going to happen? And, and then he starts giving all of these details that we're using to talk about something ahead of us that hasn't happened yet. Now, I know that there's a, there's a phrase in there that, where Jesus, it sounds like he's talking about three different things, and some people have divided that Scripture up into three different time spans and, and all of that. If you want to back that up with Scripture and believe, that's fine. I'm not, I haven't landed with everything which is kind of a cop-out, isn't it? But I haven't really landed with everything. But I'm telling you, if you leave out the destruction of Jerusalem from this Scripture and all the things that led up to that, then you're, you're misreading the Scripture because it's there. He even said, before this generation passes away, this is going to happen. And I know there have been different interpretations of that, but my goodness, he's talking to his disciples. Man, some of you guys are going to be around when this happens. This generation is not going to pass away until this happens. You, you cannot ignore that. It's there. If you want to interpret it a different way, you can. But deal with it. What happened in 70 AD was the final nail in the coffin on old covenant worship. It was, listen to my wording now, it was an abomination to God that after he had given his son as the one perfect lamb to shed his blood for the sin of mankind, that his people would continue to sacrifice animals to pay the price for sin. It was predicted in the Old Testament. Jesus talked about it more than once in his lifetime here, that there's a day coming, there's a time that Jerusalem would be destroyed. It's a part of what God was doing, and we've written all of this off as to something that's going to happen in our future. You can't do that. You just can't do it. It actually happens. What Jesus said would happen, happened. The Romans came in and took the temple down so that they would not have any ability to worship in that temple, and they tore every stone down. It's history. It's like written. Josephus was the historian. It's written in history that this actually happened. Jesus was talking about it, referring to it, predicting it. When you read Revelation, I want you to ask two questions. I want you to ask, when was it written and who was it written to? Because there's a huge, my goodness, I've read all this and it's just blown me away, okay, for many years now. It's blown me away. And I know the case for Revelation being written in the 90s, and that's one line from somewhere, and it's, but it's not conclusive. But there's a huge case for Revelation being written before 70 A.D. 
and before that time period when the Roman leader was Nero and he persecuted the church in ways that we've not seen since. And so don't discount that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. And you're just going to have to go home and say, man, he confused me. You're going to have to go home, but you're going to have to answer this question. Why is it that in Revelation, he says to the seven churches that they should hear and understand what he's talking about? Why is it that I today don't understand it? Listen, he wrote in a way, and Jesus gave it to him, that they could understand it. They actually, as a Hebrew mind in that era, actually understood what he meant by the beast. They understood what he meant by the, the, let, the numbers 666. They understood it. But we've been so shallow and not listening to Jewish historians that we just don't want to hear it because we want all of that to be about something we're to be afraid of in the future. Now, there, there is part of this is the historist view that it happened then and it's going to happen here. And that is, that's something you can believe. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying where I'm landing because I'm not sure where to land. But you cannot ignore that fact. What you can't ignore is that Nero's name in, I believe it's in Aramaic, where you, you take the Hebrew value of the numbers, the, num, the numeric, and they did this with names all the time. It's a part of history. And you take the numeric value of Nero's name, and it's 666. You can't ignore that. What you can't ignore either is that the beast in Daniel and the beast in Revelation, and you lay that out as to how it was described, and you take the leaders of the Roman Empire, and you lay that out, and it fits. It actually fits what was said about them referring to the different leaders of the Roman Empire. And so some would say, well, yes, that was about then, but it's also about something in the future. Well, you can believe that, and you have permission to believe that. But don't ignore the fact that, the, that Revelation was written to a certain people, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. And he was preparing them for one of the worst days of persecution you could imagine. He was preparing them. He wasn't playing with them, you know, writing something, what was going to happen until our future, and he wasn't messing with their lives with that. He, he was saying, he said, in fact, he said, it's going to happen shortly. The time is near. Understand what I'm saying. Understand it. Well, I don't even understand it when I think about my future or how it fits in the Bible. I have to have that Jewish mind from back there and go study that so I can see what those things actually meant to them. The second thing you need to do is read the Bible as if you've never heard anybody else's teaching on it. <laughs> it's hard to do, let me tell you. I've tried for years now. And so it's hard to do. I can't get those, those, uh, those charts out of my mind that they showed me when I was a kid. I can't get them out of my mind. But I've tried desperately. Read the Bible for what it's really saying. Well, what does that mean? Why are we ignoring that verse? I don't get it. And just read it fresh and then start, and then study the different views. But then let the Bible be your final authority and realize that, hey, what that guy over there said looks like that's true. What that guy over there said, which he believes differently from that guy, but what he said about this thing over here, that looks true too in the scripture over here. Now, Lord, what are you trying to say? Now, that, I'm just saying be open enough to realize that there are, there's, there's a different way of looking at these things, and they're all scriptural. Don't get confused, but back up and it was written to a specific people.
All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to close with this scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Everything you need to know about any time, first times, last times, I've got to toss this in. In Acts, don't, Peter actually said about Joel's prophecy, last day's prophecy, he said what's happening at Pentecost with them speaking in tongues, and all, he said what Joel said, talking about last days, is this now that's happening today. So do you think you have some special case for the last days? See? I'll leave that there. Take it home and smoke it. Matthew 5. Verse 11. Jesus said this. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. It's the last one. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. He's he's trying to say, be bold and don't be afraid of the outcome. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's been persecution since before Jesus came. You are the salt of the earth. The kingdom. And if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? In other words, if you get caught up in fear and the distraction and the obsession. Let me ask you a question. How salty are you? Are you losing your flavor? Is your fear and obsession and driven to seclusion? You hardly won't even want to be around Christians anymore because they're not listening to you about the end times. If that's happening, you may be losing your flavor. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't go hide. Don't go hide. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Demonstration, see, a demonstration of the witness of the kingdom. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's stand together.